Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and today we are speaking with Dr. Suzette McKinney. Now, Dr. McKinney is a nationally recognized public health expert. She's recently joined Sterling Bay as a principal and director of life sciences, where there she intends to significantly expand the Chicago area as a biotech hub. That means new jobs, that means increased diversity, and stimulating economic growth. Prior to Sterling Bay, Dr. McKinney was the CEO and executive director of the Illinois Medical District, where she managed medical research facilities, labs, a biotech business incubator, universities, four hospitals, 40 healthcare related facilities. And for about a dozen years or so, she was the deputy commissioner of the Bureau of Public Health Preparedness and Emergency Response for the Chicago Department of Health. Now, Dr. McKinney, she's been at the forefront of, of emergency response for years during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. She was appointed by Governor Pritzker to lead the operations for all the alternative care facilities, and that's due to her, her uh, accomplishments having led emergency response before, whether it was the Ebola response for Chicago in 2014 and 15, H1N1 outbreak in 2009, and more. In her spare time, she also teaches at two pub public health universities, um, both at Harvard and the University of Illinois in Chicago, serves on many boards and advisory committees and many philanthropic efforts. And Dr. McKinney, I am so pleased to be talking to you this morning. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, this is great. I am excited to hear about what you're doing and also talk about talk about your career and how you got here. It's an unusual journey for certain. But why don't we just start with what you're doing right now? You recently joined Sterling Bay after a tremendous amount of success leading public health um, through your prior commitments. So talk about what you're doing right now. Sure. So at Sterling Bay, I am leading the Life Sciences Division. So essentially, I am responsible for um, expanding Sterling Bay's work into the life sciences space, both here in Chicago, as well as nationally. And in that capacity, I will work with the corporate, scientific, government, and philanthropic sectors to really ensure that we are growing the life sciences community here in Chicago. And once again, as I said, expanding the company and our life sciences work across the country. Well, it's bringing together a lot of different stakeholders um, across the industry. And this seems like a new type of thing coming from a lot of years being um, leading public health efforts. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the public health part of your career, because today, certainly through the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've all come to realize how very important the public health infrastructure is 
for the nation. And you've been doing it for years and long before I think that, you know, we the public really appreciated how important that was. Could you just talk about a bit how you got into public health and why that was so important to you? Absolutely. I oftentimes say that I got into public health by mistake, but I remained in public health on purpose. (laughs) And I say that because my original plan was to attend medical school. I wanted to be a neonatologist, but I spent my undergraduate career at a university where the majority of the students graduated and went on to medical school. And I had done a fellowship with a physician at Harvard Medical School who really got me interested in public health. And so prior to applying to medical school, I decided to go to public health school, get my master's degree, and then spend a year working in the field of public health because I thought that that experience, both having the degree as well as work experience in the field of public health would make me a better clinician. And You know, you spoke about the public health infrastructure. As luck would have it, I graduated with my master's degree in public health three months before 9-11 and the anthrax attacks that we experienced in 2001. And so the job that I got was working for the Chicago Department of Public Health as their bioterrorism regional coordinator. And that was due to the fact that uh, after anthrax, there was a recognition that our public health infrastructure was so fractured and Congress appropriated about a billion dollars at the time into local and state public health. So that's really how I got started in the field. But what I will tell you is that the work was so intriguing that I was unable to pull myself away and eventually decided to pursue my doctorate degree in public health. And the rest is history, as they would say. Yeah, well, you know, you you said as luck would have it, that sounds a bit like as crisis would have it. So you're going from, you know, you know, having this new degree, you know, in an enormous um, crisis, and oftentimes crisis do create opportunities. So how did you learn to or, you know, how did you learn to lead when you're just hit with the storms of anthrax and 9-11? Well, I will tell you that I've always been a very avid reader, a very avid learner. And so even in doing that job, I would always explore other opportunities to learn more, whether it was about my specific role or the roles of others that I was working with, you know, other colleagues and partners and stakeholders. I think one of the greatest learning experiences that I had, however, was a fellowship that I did at Harvard where we learned how to make high consequence decisions under pressure. And uh, I always want to give kudos to the program. It's the National Preparedness Leadership Institute at Harvard. And, you know, we learned skills and strategies for really how to, uh, what we would say, pull ourselves out of the basement And what I mean by that is, you know, anytime you're faced with a situation that's very stressful, if you've ever frozen or just found yourself sitting and wondering what are you going to do, that's what I'm referring to as the basement. And so a lot of the skills and strategies that I learned in that fellowship really helped me figure out how to, you know, pull myself out of that initial feeling of stress and fear and really take all of the training that I had had in my past and put that training to work 
in an effort to lead not just my team, but even others who are depending on me. Well, I also like how you're focusing on just, you know, ongoing learning. And even though you already have a number of degrees, still preparing yourself by taking additional courses, classes, and how then those apply to, you know, issue of the day or next career opportunity. So this next career opportunity that you've moved to in Sterling Bay, this is more in the area of things like real estate development. I've heard, um, you know, some of that work talked about as opportunity zones, the creation of innovation districts. Can you talk more a little bit about that and like what is an innovation district? Sure. So innovation districts are geographically defined areas within, uh, usually they're found in cities where companies and perhaps hospitals and universities cluster together and you know, they conduct their work in these spaces, but the, the key uh, characteristic is that they are clustered together where in spaces where collaboration and coordination are much more easily achieved. And so the Illinois Medical District here in Chicago is an innovation district. Uh, now uh, I am participating in developing a new innovation district under the umbrella of Sterling Bay at Lincoln Yards. Um, but we, innovation districts are not new. They, we've seen them all across the country. They exist in many cities across this country. But what I will tell you with regards to opportunity zones that you mentioned, um, qualified opportunity zones were brought about as the result of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And opportunity zones were really designed as a tax incentive uh, for investors and developers to encourage them to develop properties and invest in underinvested neighborhoods and communities. And I think that, you know, that was really important, especially when you look at communities where healthcare outcomes were so disproportionately worse off than other communities. And where you also saw just extreme rates of healthcare disparities. And so my work at the Illinois Medical District, a lot of it really centered around leveraging our qualified opportunity zone to encourage more life sciences development in that opportunity zone for the purpose of improving healthcare and health outcomes for uh, people living in the surrounding communities. Well, and it's also taking, as I understand it, that your public health background and really focusing on health disparities, but also really looking to drive economic growth, job creation, diversity in that job creation. So in, in terms of that pivot and that part of the focus, can you just talk about, you know, what are you thinking about in terms of diversity in the workforce? What are the opportunities? Why is it important to you to create um, opportunities for people of all ages, different types of um, backgrounds? Um, why does that make for a rich innovation zone or, or community as you're focused on? Well, thank you for mentioning that, Lori. It's, it's very important to me. You know, one of the things that I have learned over the course of my career, but particularly the work that I was doing at the Illinois Medical District, as we examined healthcare disparities, but also the cause of those healthcare disparities, 
what we realized is that most of those disparities were really due to what we call the social determinants of health. For example, things like lack of access to employment, lack of access to education, poor neighborhood infrastructure, poor transportation, if you will. And so the work around developing life sciences and creating diversity in the workplace was focused on attacking poor healthcare outcomes, but through the social determinants of health. In other words, if I can create employment opportunities and education opportunities for people who don't have them, and that improves their economic outlook, eventually over time, those economic outlook improvements lead to improvements in their health their healthcare status. And the anecdote that I always use to sort of illustrate that point is, if a mother is worried about how she's going to put food on the table at night, she's not concerned about making it to her next doctor's appointment. Right, and it's also moving upstream. And so in terms of just, again, you know, your career, it also seems that you're really taking those kinds of drivers um, of what create the issues that need to be dealt with from a public health perspective. And you're moving more upstream, I think, to try and solve some of those problems, again, with the economic growth, creating these innovation districts and opportunities for, for many more people. Am I, am I understanding that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, that's just terrific. So this is it. If I could just pivot a little bit in the conversation, because this is just important work. It's exciting work um, in terms of what you um, have already done and intending to do. But let's talk a little bit about how you got here. I mean, you are at today, you're incredibly accomplished, many awards, many accolades, you know, sort of at the height of these organizations, but you didn't always start there. So, you know, we talk about with women, inspiring women like you, breaking the glass ceiling. I've heard you say before, um, you know, let's talk about the cement ceiling. <laughs> and, you know, what's that? Can you just give a little bit about sort of like some breaking of barriers? How, give some examples of how you did it. Did someone pull you through a barrier? Did you push yourself through? That would be helpful to understand. Sure. You know, the first thing I would say is, you know, growing up, my parents were huge proponents of education. And so my sister and I were always encouraged to pursue education first. And so that was the mindset that I've had my entire life. So as I mentioned earlier, upon graduating from college, I decided to pursue a degree in public health. Once I moved into the workforce, my goal was always to obviously do a great job, but also continue to learn as much as possible. The other thing that I always focused on was making sure that I took advantage of any opportunities that came my way that I thought would help me be a better professional to do my job better. In my early days, in the early days of my career, those opportunities were in the form of training opportunities or educational opportunities, you know, seminars, workshops, uh, leadership programs. But I never shied away from an opportunity, even if it didn't necessarily fit with my intended career goal. So 
within the first year and a half of working in public health, I had an opportunity for a promotion. The promotion would have given me more leadership, greater responsibility. It wasn't necessarily in my career path, but I thought while I'm here, I should take advantage of that opportunity because I never know where it will lead. I never know just how much I can learn from an experience. And again, this was all with the eye toward being a better clinician once I got to that point in my life. How did those, how did those opportunities emerge? I know that lots of women pursue additional education. They pursue additional classes. And that seems like the easy, logical step, almost a safe step for many women. But they find it difficult I, in many conversations to that, that, that I've um, had to find the opportunity, take the leap. And sometimes um, it's easier when it's given to you. Were, they, were those opportunities given to you? Did you create them? Can you give us an example? I would say a little bit of both. I, I've never been the type of person that just waited for an opportunity to come my way. Uh, I would always look for opportunities. And you know, if I found an opportunity, I would go to my boss and say, this is a training opportunity that I found. I think it will enrich my work. I think it will enhance my ability to do my work. And here is how, you know, would you authorize the time away from the office for me to attend the training as well as the, the fee? And, you know, sometimes the answer would be yes. And sometimes the answer would be no. And then there were other situations where those opportunities would be offered, not just to me, but to other peers and colleagues as well. And so, again, it was about uh, taking advantage of any opportunity that came my way. But I have to give another point here, you know, to your point about continuous learning. And this is something that I tell young women that I mentor all the time. I often tell them, and this is something that I did myself early on in my career, whenever I finished my work or had a break in my day and a little bit of extra time, I would always go to the internet and research, you know, academic journal articles or magazine articles that were related to my field of work and the work that I was doing at the time. And, you know, one or two articles a day, if I could fit that in, just to gain some additional perspective. If I found an article or a publication that I found particularly interesting, I might print it out and stick it in a folder that I had just labeled interested reading. But what came to be over time, I would find myself sitting in meetings, and we would be, you know, pondering some complex issue and trying to identify a solution to that complex issue. And everyone else would be talking and then something would come to mind for me. And I would put that out there and everyone would look at me like, well, where did that come from? Or where does she get that from? And it would have come from one of those articles that I read. And what I realized was that just by reading a couple of articles a day, whenever I had time to do so, I was gaining additional perspective and additional insight into my field of work that I wasn't getting directly from my employment experience. It was extra learning. 
And it's interesting, right? I mean, those kinds of things really trigger really excellent conversations or new insights or other draw out other things from, you know, the audience that you're in. That's just really terrific um, practical advice, Suzette. I love that. Talk about maybe um, some of the barriers. There's no way, um, you know, you are where you are without hitting some of those challenges where it wasn't easy or it, or it didn't work out as expected or you didn't get that plum assignment that you wanted or not everyone was rooting for you. How did you handle sure. some of the obstacles um, that you obviously must have hit along the way? Well, you're absolutely right. I did hit a lot of obstacles. I've often found that, you know, as women, we tend to hit quite a bit of obstacles. And then quite frankly, as people of color, you know, as I am a person of color, sometimes I, I hit obstacles related to that. I think the, the first thing to keep in mind and, and what I've always practiced is perseverance. You know, just because someone told me no, doesn't mean that I have to stop pushing and stop persevering. I tell my daughter all the time, no just means next opportunity. It doesn't mean that you have to stop doing what you're doing. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and this is something that I also tell my daughter and young women that I mentor, anytime a roadblock is put in your path, you know, just keep working. Take that negativity and use it and turn it into a positive and figure out how to you know, move, move yourself around that obstacle. And I can, get, I can give you a really great example. Early on in my career, again, at the Chicago Department of Public Health, my boss, I used to frequently go to my boss when I would finish my work and I would say to him, I'm done with everything that I needed to complete today. Is there any work that you have that you need help with? And so I'd always help him. And before long, he would be bringing me additional work to do, work that fell under his responsibility. Well, when he decided to leave the organization, his boss asked him, you know, is there anyone here who can do your job just as good or better than you? And he said, yes, one person, it's Suzette. So I did that job on an interim basis for nine months. And when it was finally uh, open for application, I decided, well, I've been doing this for nine months. I should just apply for this promotion. And there was a leader within our organization who went to the hiring manager and she said, you know, if I were you, I would not hire Suzette for that position. And the hiring manager says, well, why not? You know, she's been doing the job for nine months. She's been doing a great job. And the other leader said, well, you know, she's a great worker bee but she's not a leader. And you know, that was just one person's opinion of my ability. I didn't learn about that conversation early on. Needless to say, I got the job. So it wasn't, <laughs> until, it wasn't until sometime after getting the job that I learned about that conversation. And I just made a, made a decision. And I decided, you know what? Not only am I a great leader, but I'm going to show everyone just how great of a leader I can be. And I felt like that was me taking that negative impression or opinion about me and turning it into something positive because I worked harder and I did more. And I think that all of that extra work just put my career on a path to success that even I had not imagined. 
Well, Suzette, thank you for sharing that story. And you know, the those types of obstacles, we are there. Not everyone is your supporter, um, and yet you still persevere. That's just a great story, and it really also speaks to. I mean, you you have such confidence, obviously because of accomplishments, but also um, early on that was important to you. So thank you for sharing that fantastic story. As we close out here, one one question just before I get so you're closing thoughts. Do, do you have an off switch? It seems like so many inspiring women you are just seem to be driving all the time. Any balance beyond just driving forward in your life? Well, to the question about off switch, the answer would be no. Um, <laughs> that's probably the one thing that challenges me the most. And that is forcing myself to slow down, forcing myself to, you know, do things that just uh, enrich and enhance who I am as a person. And so I find great joy and great stress relief in working out, which I try to do three to four days a week. My daughter is now a college student and she's an athlete. So I'm her biggest cheerleader. Uh, prior to COVID, I would go watch her games, but now during COVID I'm live streaming her games, but that's something that brings me joy and brings me fulfillment. And when I can, you know, I like to brunch with friends. You know, I just find that time with my friends to unwind and talk about what's going on in our lives or even just to laugh and, you know, tell jokes with one another also brings me great joy. But I have what I would call an obsession with improving myself, doing better today than what I did yesterday. So that obsession, whether it's healthy or not, you know, and different people have different opinions is what makes it difficult for me to find the off switch. Well, it, that obsession certainly seems like something that has worked for you. Suzette, as we close out today, um, any last advice you'd like to give to listeners? Just, just any last comments from you? Well, sure. You know, this is something that um, I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. And that is, you know, as women, as professionals, you know, finding the time to mentor another young woman and to sow positivity and good thoughts into the life of another. Um, I was engaged in a conversation just a few days ago talking about how so many young people, especially young people from underrepresented communities, oftentimes just don't have some of the same opportunities that other young people have, or perhaps two kids from different racial and ethnic backgrounds go to the same university, have the same, you know, coursework and professors and things of that sort, but upon graduation or upon, you know, the summer rolling around, they don't have the same access to internship opportunities and job opportunities. So I would just ask the audience, especially those women, to take time to mentor another young woman, sow something into that young woman's life, because you never know how much of an impact you will have. Well, Suzette, that is um, fantastic advice. And thank you again for being a guest today on Inspiring Women. This has been an excellent conversation with Dr. Suzette McKinney on Inspiring Women. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. 
We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.